I've still been left in a room, and I'm sure others can relate to this. You know, been left in a room pre-pitch, which was boiling hot. You know, heating was on full. It was probably 25 degrees outside. Uh, there was no water in the room, and you know, I don't, I don't believe these things always are accidents. I think you know, we, we were put into a position where we all felt, you know, fairly uncomfortable. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker, and author Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Welcome to another episode of the Business Mastermind podcast. Today, my guest, I'm very privileged to have uh, Stuart Lorden on, on the podcast. He is a fellow podcaster. He's a property developer. He's a consultant. Stuart, good morning. Hi. Morning, Gavin. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much. So give us a little bit about your story, sort of your, your career journey uh, up to the present day, just a bit of an overview of who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah, very quickly, I essentially worked in sort of corporate life for about 20 years, leading to a senior senior role up to about sort of three years ago. Very happy in corporate life and really enjoyed it, enjoyed the people I worked with, but got to a stage, as many of us do, where I just felt like I needed sort of greater freedom, more autonomy, more flexibility, especially with having a young family. So decided to leave full-time employment and look at property development as an avenue. So that's what I've been doing for the last two and a half years. And that's enabled me to have the flexibility. But alongside that, although I left the company that I used to work for, obviously had some very good relationships there and still do. Thankfully, they asked me to come back, support some pitches, support some business. So I still do consultancy around that as well. And actually, I feel like it keeps me sharp and I actually enjoy new situations, trying to you know, support businesses. So In a nutshell, that's me. I've got a wife, four kids from the age of 10 down to two. Also a football coach for an under-10s football team as as well as some other things as well. But um, So, um, yeah, fairly full life at the moment, which is great. I was going to say a very busy life uh, inside and outside of work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and admire your ability to be able to to juggle all that, particularly the four children, I find... um, Two, as we've discussed before, two uh, young children between the age of two and six can be <laughs> challenging enough. So never can't can only begin to imagine what it's like jiggling for. Um, so one of the things that you've become very adept at in your career um, is business development and being able to articulate the services and the offering for the companies that you've worked with. Uh, very clearly, coherently, to win pitches with corporate uh, prospects, you know, that, to become corporate clients. So, I, I, if it's okay with you, I'd like to just dive in a little bit more about uh, what are your sort of key um, things that you will look for. What has to be there in terms of when you're putting together a, you know, a winning pitch? Yeah, I think business, like most things, if it's if it's done well, should just be done really simply, or we should. Yeah think about it in its simplest forms and sometimes I think maybe I'm just dumbing things down but ultimately we seem to get where we need to go so so it must be you know a good approach and for me the simplest elements for me when working on things like pitches so the first thing is is obviously making sure we understand what the requirement is so what what what's the question that's being asked and then thinking about the client or the customer that's asking that question and then putting ourselves in their position 
So there's yeah. two, two aspects is firstly getting really clear on what, what, what's the question, you know, what, what, what are they looking for? And then also putting ourselves in their position to, to understand the reason that usually people go out to pitches is because they don't have the thing that they, that they need. So they need, they either need support um, to get to where they want to go or they're looking for, you know, if it's a, I don't know, it could be an IT request, you know, for, for infrastructure. So, so there's clearly an element or a gap that they feel needs to be filled. So it's, it's a bit of a, a balance between sort of firstly saying, right, how do we answer specifically what, what needs to be answered, but then equally putting ourselves in their shoes, in their business, really trying to understand their business to then think about how we can support them because we then also have to acknowledge that they, that they don't know everything and that's why they've, they've gone out to pitches. And, and then for me, it's really structuring the whole response around that. And, you know, there are some pitches which, you know, I'm sure you, you've worked on previously as well, Gavin, that it can be quite big, you know, really big yes. questions. Uh, and certainly the most recent ones I've worked on were, you know, quite, you know, we're talking about sort of three-year developments, you know, a year to, right. to build things. So we're, we're talking about a lot of effort um, you know, when we talk about this, we're, we're gen, generally speaking about people, process, or technology. Okay. And then it's how, yeah, how how do we match that to the to the potential customer requirement? So then, uh, on a success on the successful uh, winning of a pitch, do you get involved with the implementation of that that consultancy service? Then the short answer is it depends. But in the past, yes, I have. And I think from a client perspective, that's always worked really well because I think there's nothing worse. And again, if I put myself, again, it's just, it's just putting myself in the other person's position. If I've worked on a, with, on a big pitch and we have teams of people that come in and, and do various presentations, various RFP response, or you know, you've got an RFI and then you've got the RFP and then you've got people coming in to present and it's all sounded wonderful and we've met each other a few times and we've started to develop rapport. And then you, you give the business and then you know, a new set of people turn up um, yeah. that have just been employed to run that business. Now that might have to happen, but for me, there has to be some continuity from both perspectives, because firstly, from, from someone that's responding to the pitch, I'd want to make sure that there was consistency in terms of what we've responded to and what we're going to deliver. Now it sounds ridiculous for me to say, but I don't think it happens as often as it should that we get really focused on delivering specifically what we said we were going to deliver, unless yeah. you know the client decides that there should be something different, or we learn more as we just you know work with the client because obviously once you once you win the work, as always, we know we start uncovering things and things that we were, thought were were going to be there or or not there aren't necessarily right, so we have to change, but. On the whole, it would be from my perspective saying, right, we need to get the team in and this is how we've structured the response and this is how we're going to deliver it. If, if we don't have a consistency of team, how do we know that we're going to deliver on what we say we will? Because once again, for me, if, if I boil it down to its simplest form, that's around the integrity of what we're doing, what we said we were going to do. And from a client's perspective and from more of, I guess, more of the softer aspects of it, it's about letting them know that we actually care about doing what we said we we're going to do and, and continuing it in that right in that way. So it might sound simplistic, but that's kind of how I'd approach it. Uh, there's some really strong words coming through there, like integrity and care. Uh, I think you know, consistency, I think those are very important. So if we just um, go back to the, what we started to sort of unpick was about, you know, almost like your, your formula for a good pitch. So 
first was a very getting very clear about the requirements from the uh, from the from the client or prospective client. Second, putting yourself in their shoes and putting yourself in their position. What else do you always ensure you get in place in order for that? You know, hallmarks of a good pitch. Getting everyone together. So clearly, it depend on the size and scale of the pitch. If it's if it's a simple pitch if for a for a single business, for example, that then it might be more straightforward. But the pitches that I've worked on in the past will involve a number of departments, and sometimes you know across countries. So that that can be quite tricky. And how I'd work with that is, first of all, we, we do have meetings. We'll, we'll pick a local office and we'll have at least one meeting where everyone is in the room. And we'll everybody from your side. Yeah, yeah. everyone from our side. Yeah, we'll be in the room and we'll break the, you know, the, the pitch down into its component parts. And I, for me, that's made a difference. Now, that's not always feasible. Sometimes we will we'll get as many people in the room as possible and dial in others. You know, that has happened. Um, but I do remember on the last big picture we worked on, you know, just having, you know, around 15, 20 of us in the room. And there was something that happened there other than the, the, the business elements of that in terms of making sure we could all think about the whole of the response rather than what sometimes happens is that each department will think about their constituent part and then you know one of us will stitch it together which which would still happens but actually when we're all in the room face to face there's something that happens around the creativity about our response that i that i personally really really like so it's about getting a a a common understanding but then b a group methodology that, that works for all parties rather than what can happen in some business, someone, you know, will you know, respond to their part of the pitch and then just throw it over the fence to the next, to the next party, which is not something I feel works well, again, particularly for the client. Yes, because obviously the risk is you've got a, 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 potentially the risk of a, a number of disparate areas or content pieces being just sort of stitched together where actually what you're looking to do is create a cohesive story that really engages or speaks to the requirement of the customer. Absolutely. And I think... I think all clients, customers, and most of us, we're not stupid. And I think when that comes back, when the pitch comes back, if that's the way it's been created, now, as much wordsmithing as we might be able to do, and as good as I might think I might be at doing that sometimes, I think that will show through in the response and that gets picked up. And particularly if there are elements where the, if your business as a, as a responder is not as strong and you haven't sat down with the relevant people to talk through it, I think those things will come through, whether whether you believe it or not. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, well, undoubtedly. So you've got clear about the requirements. You put yourselves in the position of your um, your prospective customer or client. You've got everybody out from your side together uh, in terms of uh, working on elements of the pitch, but also coming together so you're creating a, a cohesion, a thread throughout uh, throughout the pitch. What else do you always look to ensure that you have uh, as, as an ingredient of a successful pitch? I think it's ensuring, as, as a, so one of the key parts of pitching for us is, is obviously the presentation. For us, yeah. it's the rehearsal. So once we've got a response, it's again, getting the, the team together that are gonna run the pitches. We will run those rehearsals, you know, once or twice you know, in a group and also get other people in the room. And, you know, they're probably the best days for people because we just say, you've got to sit in this room and you're playing devil's advocate. So we, you know, we'll give people a license to not be nice. And, yes. and you know, you can, you can go through your pitch 
and get the challenges, the, you know, the worst challenges out of the way and look at how you respond to them. And it's amazing how many times and some pitches, you know, that I've supported with, but not, you know, wasn't actually present at, but, you know, was present for the rehearsals where they said it was amazing. But the thing we rehearsed was exactly what came out in the, in the pitch presentation. And, Great. and I don't think there's any coincidence there because once again, I think as sort of humans, we, we naturally have these questions that pop up or these uh, views where someone says something, there'll be an immediate response to that. Well, well, how can you do X or Y if you haven't done Z? And, and it's amazing how many times that, that same question can come out from, from different people. So rehearsal is a, is a big element as well as part of the pitch process. And I think just reflecting back, which is really hard in a pitch process, as we all know, generally when you get a pitch, you're giving us a limited amount of time, which is invariably isn't enough time to do it. We'll, we'll always agree that, you know, you, you're always going to need an extra two weeks to do a pitch that you never get. But yeah. it's about being able to, to complete the document. And if you could give it to other people that aren't related to the pitch process to a read through just for the, for your general grammatical things, but also as a, as a sense check. So for me, that's really key as well. And for me, if I can get the time towards the end, it's to walk away from the pitch document while it's being checked. And then you know, half a day or a day, if we've got that time to come back to it and just read through as, as I were the client or someone that had just received it. Great, great, solid advice. And when it comes to actually doing the presentation and if you get the opportunity of, of presenting your proposal to, to the client, what are the things you, other than the presentation, what are the, sorry, the rehearsal of it, what are the things that you do as a team to help that presentation really hit home, come alive? Yeah, it's a really good question because every pitch is different. Every client is different. And I think that is, is a key point is understanding the client. You know, it's, it's understanding who they are as people and that can be to the degree of not just understanding their roles and responsibilities, but understanding a little bit more about what they might want, because often you won't get that information. So you'll have, you, you may well have a number of different stakeholders in the room. And, you know, just thinking back to the last room that I was in, you know, we could have had a marketing director or a group marketing director. We could have then had, you know, a subordinate for, for want of a better phrase, but someone that works under him. And then we'll have, yeah. you know, a CFO in the room. Yeah. And obviously they all have different objectives. We know that, you know, you know, the, the, the CFO, he's just looking at the numbers. We'll have someone else. And then we, you know, we might have what could be the key stakeholder is someone that might use the service that we're looking to provide. So they'll, you know, so they'll have, there'll be a number of different elements in the room and it's thinking about and preparing for how you will cater for each of those. Because one of my pet hates is if, Let's say if you're in a room and there's a CEO in the room and there's several other people in the room, everyone will start presenting or looking at the CEO when they're talking. Yeah. They'll start talking to the CEO, which which in my mind is the, one of the biggest mistakes that can be made. From right. from first of all, kind of eliminate other people from the room, and second of all, the CEO or the CFO, whoever that most senior person in the room, in the room is, doesn't necessarily want that to happen. They might just be in that room because they need to be there just to, to nod when they come out of it to say, look guys, whatever you've done is fine. Uh, so I think it's about being aware of who's in the room and who's, who's going to interact with them. So make sure you cater for all parties because the person, it could be the, the, the person of least seniority in that room that could be the most powerful person in the room because they might walk out of the room and say, I don't think this will work for us. And the senior leader will, will have to take that advice. 
rather right. than the most people will think of it as a top-down approach. So again, but it's understanding that those dynamics in the room. And will you know that ahead of time or do you have to pretty work that out whilst you're on your feet in the room? Uh... Well, if you, if you can, better to prepare. And this is where relationships come in and, and trying to build those relationships. So the short answer to your question is you can't, you, you can't know every time. Um, but I would certainly do the due diligence with the team about how we do that. And that just could just be using LinkedIn, understanding the people. But if we don't know everyone that's in the room, you know, I would make a point of, of trying to find out who's in that room. And then when we're in the room, making sure we're making those introductions. So the, so the other thing for me is not always easy, not always easy, but is to actually treat the client as a peer. And, you know, they're, they're recruiting you or they've come to you because they believe you have a product or service that meets their requirements. So see you on the same level. I think it's very easy for us to, to, to get into sort of, um, you know, subservient mode and, and just sort of walk into a room and just, you know, say, this is the client and, you know, we have to behave as um, suppliers do and, and be subservient and, and everything else. But I would rather that we, we go in with the mindset that we are equals and to be equals and to provide them with the best service that we, we have to be treated as such. And part of that for me is going in and, and saying, okay, can we understand who's in the room, what your roles are and how this product or service will relate to you. And that way we can make sure that we're providing you with the tailored and right service. Great. Um, do you, uh, you know, see any sort of games being played, you know, it used to be, that you would expect either in an interview or pitch situation you have the good cop bad cop my sense is the less of that goes on but do you see any particular strategies being played out in that pitch setting to try and catch you off guard oh god yeah yeah i think that you know that's still that that's still prevalent i think as you said i think i think it's starting to change i think business is starting to change that way but you will still have some not want to play those cards well you know I've still been left in a room and I'm sure others can relate to this, you know, been left in a room pre-pitch, which was boiling hot. You know, heating was on full. It was probably 25 degrees outside. Uh, there was no water in the room. And, you know, I don't, I don't believe these things always are accidents. I think, you know, we, we were put into a position where we all felt you know, fairly uncomfortable. Now I've always left a question why that would be the case mm. um, to make, to make and, people feel that way. And, but, and I can't see how, how does that help the process? I don't think it does help the process. I think, but to your point, this is a very, it's a very old school approach of, mm, yes. you know, they're almost laying out the, uh, the, you know, the rules at the first stage of, you know, we are in control and this is how we'll mm -hmm. do it. It's a dominating strategy, isn't it? Yeah. We're in charge here, as you say, and you will, you'll do it our way. But I think that also then begs the question about, I think you get a lot more authenticity now of where suppliers will say, actually, I only want I will stand true to our ground and we want to work with people that we can partner with we can collaborate with that we can meet each other as peers as equals rather than collab um you know being complicit in an agenda of you know uh parent child you know to use some transactional analysis terminology but you know how things were done before yeah and I, and again I think for me personally it's a really simple isn't it it's actually there's a, there's an objective here you know if you're going out to to tender or you've got a pitch there's an objective you want to reach an objective whatever that objective is the end goal is invariably going to be more efficient you know generate more revenues yep. increase the number of customers whatever it might be 
and actually you're you're asking people to come in and support that so actually we've already from from day one we've got a shared objective so why shouldn't we all be able to just get around that together as a group and work together to achieve it rather than have yeah. that sort of dominating approach or you know and, and and you know i have seen in rooms where you know some people will come in and, and there's definitely you know, you mentioned the good cop, bad cop, and that did make me laugh because, you know, I have been in a room where clearly there was a good cop, bad cop, and there was one guy that was clearly going to say nothing in the room um, and just just look quite evil, and we had to work out what he did. Um, but yeah, you get there, and actually, you know, post-meeting, we had a com- we have conversations, and, we, you know, and I, like I say, I was, you know, sort of went up and spoke with people and just said, look, what's your role? Why are you here? And, and, and we almost worked through it. Um, and then developed a bit of a good rapport, and and that was key. So starting a rapport at that process. Yeah, just engaging like any uh, normal human beings when yeah. it meets me for the first time is hello. You know, what's your role? What do you do? Yeah, yeah it's yeah, not exactly. rocket science, is exactly. it? How else do you? I know, I know. By way your preparation when you do the rehearsals, you have somebody that will be that devil's advocate, as you've already explained. But how do you help pre- prepare yourself or members of your pitching team? to deal with the scenarios where, you know, the heat literally or metaphorically is turned up or you're thrown a bit of a curveball of a question that you may not have prepared for. How do you personally and your team manage, you know, prep for dealing with that in the moment, keeping your cool and keeping, you know, in control of your, your pitch? Yeah, another good question. And I think preparation is key. So in, in the room, we should all have roles. So whatever those roles are, it could be, I'm just trying to think of it, you know, pitch environment, it might be, okay, let, you know, one person's going to field all operational questions. One's going to field all of the finance questions. How do we get to the number? So commercial. So who's going to field all the commercial questions? Who's, okay. who's going to field all of the, you know, so we will categorize that. So at the top level. So in that scenario that you're talking about, where undoubtedly you will still get the surprise question, the curveball that, that we'll look at each other for. So if it fits into one of those categories, we then expect that person. And the other thing, as again, as, as, as obvious as it might sound, is if, if we haven't thought about the question and we don't know the answer, that's the answer, is yeah. we haven't thought about that, we, we don't know. And I can say from personal experience, we've, we've gleaned a lot more respect from having given that answer rather than sit in the front of the room and try to pretend we might know the answer. Even... You know, you know, being in rooms with you know chief technology officers, you know w- that are facing off to each other, and it's it's kind of a a bit of a a game to see who might know the most around you know a certain analytical approach or methodology. And we've had those debates, but but sometimes it will get to a stage where we just say, look, actually that's not something we're aware of, but right. we can look into it, and I'm pretty sure we'd um, we'd be able to upskill ourselves in that area. And so it just comes back to another point you made around authenticity. And for me, that's key. So when, when let's say somebody's role on the client side is, in that pitch setting is to try and uh, unsettle you, either be aggressive or uh, intimidating in whatever way, how do you manage to, you know, in, in the face of that, that sometimes can uh, cause people to... Um, fluster what they're going to say or their thinking mind to go blank how how do you ensure that you're able your team members ensure that they're able to keep calm think clearly well that pressure is being applied for me it, it comes back to being well prepared 
and you know being rehearsed so individually and as a group being well prepared if we are very confident with what we've got and what we're presenting regardless of someone's approach in that room we should be able to respond to those questions I'm sure we've all been in a room and we've all done it sometimes where our mind has gone blank. I know it's happened to me and I've, and I've seen it happen before. However, as the years have gone on for me, knowing that I'm prepared and having prepared. So even when we do get that grilling from is someone that wants to be the dragon in the room, then we, then we just, we answer with our response. You know, we, we answer with our set and already predetermined responses. And if it, if it remains repeating ourselves, we'll do that. I think, having experience in these situations if we see that somebody and it, depending on the pitch level i mean if there's a pitch level and there's a, it's a group of, of senior team members then I, I don't expect that to happen anymore because we should be well so well prepared and rehearsed for it however if if it's in a room where we can see someone isn't meeting the level required then of course we'd step in just to support them so you know if we, if we see someone's you know thinking uh, or out loud or has for want of a better word frozen then you know certainly i would or another member of the team would come in and, and support them and answer those questions and it depends you should be have been a team as well in that situation yeah just 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 making sure we're a team and and also there are boundaries i mean i personally know, you know feel that there are boundaries so you know in a situation where someone's just being you know trying to be a, a, you know someone from the dragon's den and and just ask these blunt questions which which happens often and i'm probably guilty of doing that myself actually i've been on the other side of the fence where sure. you know, I just might be more direct because again, time's limited and you just want to get to the answer. But yes. you know, if, if boundaries are, are overstepped, then, then, then we'd say that, you know, and we'd, and we'd, we'd challenge that. So that's, that, that's that professional authenticity of being able to say, almost oh, stop playing the game here. We're, we're all professionals. I think you've just overstepped a boundary there. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately and- I haven't had to do that, but. I would imagine, though, if you were ever in that situation, you would get, as long as you were doing delivering that message with respect, you would get, and, and authentically, you would you would get you would earn respect by doing that. Absolutely, and and my experience is not, so not in pitch environments, certainly in business environments, is wherever we've I've seen some, some people, and I'm sure anyone that's got experience in business for you know over over a couple of years, you, you're going to have seen all types of characters, and there are some characters which can be quite domineering regardless of male, female or position. We've just seen that. But when, you know, they're met and you'd actually say, and you defend yourself or you defend your values and just say, look, could we try this again? But, but perhaps you might be able to put this in a better way to me because I'm not, you know, the, the way that you're speaking to us is threatening, for example, that, you, that you've put that out there. And some, sometimes people's reaction is, oh, sorry, I didn't realise that because yes. it's just not that how they communicate. So I think it's important to let people know if if that's the situation, as, as rare as it may be or not. It's just having that candid, open and honest conversation, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do do you, you make use of anything else by way of persuasion, any other tools, like do you look to tell a story, to kind of pull on heartstrings? You know, you, you, you're going to have a big, no doubt, data, left brain, analytical elements to your approach, but do you also try to engage... You know the heart as well as the mind in terms of the when you're doing your pitches. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's a it's a, it's a really key element. And for me, once again, it's really about knowing the audience, knowing who you've got in the room. If we've got, if you've mentioned sides of the brain there, if, you know, if we've if we've just got a meeting with the procurement and finance, 
Yes. And sorry data, to data, data. <laughs> sorry to anyone that is in procurement or finance, but generally in that role, you're concerned about the numbers. You're you can you know yeah. how does it wash out? What's the margin? What's the percentage rate? You know, um, how do we net out? And so we'll be focused on that. When we know we've got other people in the room, generally you know, so like the other side of the brains, if you've mentioned, it's what what do we know about them? What do we know they might like? And actually, what is the story here? Because we, I'm sure we've all done it where I've certainly done it where I've had a presentation where I've gone very much for the heart yeah. and, and I've completely misfired and you know, it's, it's, it's not landed at all because the people in that room were more analytical and we yep. focused on that. So if, if you can't get it, it's, it's, it's difficult to get right. But for me, where I've come back to on that, it's like, what am I happy with and what would I be happy to do? And if there's a story that we can present, and if it really aligns with what we feel the customer is trying to achieve, then, then we'd go out there and, and we'd, we'd put it into more of a story form. So much of what you've described around your process is, hangs around the preparation. And I, and I love that and the emphasis, not only for the preparation, the pitch messaging and the document, but also your rehearsal of the presentation. What sources do you go to to get the insights, the intel that you need in order to prepare to the level that you do? It's really about, it comes down to connections. And as, as you go through your know, life experience, you get more and more connections. And I guess we're in a fortunate position. It's one of, one of the benefits of getting older is that you know more and more people in right. different companies. So we will always, you know, one of the starting points will be to, to could even go company-wide, but generally thinking about who the key stakeholders are within the client and do we know anyone that knows them? So first of all, do any of us know them? Because again, we, yeah. we might do. And if we do, can we reach out to them? Could we meet them for a coffee? Depending on that, of course, again, you're measuring the relationship. You know, Do we have that kind of relationship? If we don't, could we just still send a message um, to, to have a catch up? And so, so we'd start there. Sometimes we could even go company-wide and just send a, an email saying, you know, if, if we look at the stakeholders' backgrounds and we see that they've worked in certain companies, we, we can get that message out within our own company and to find out if anyone's worked there, who's got experience of. Obviously, there is just so much information now online. You know, we're starting with LinkedIn, but of course, you know, you can even go onto Facebook and use that just for some you know, social knowledge, get an understanding of people. And again, this is not stalking. This is really just a high level. We're just trying to get a sense of, and I'll be honest, I haven't used Facebook, but I'm just thinking, why, you know, why, why couldn't you? Yes. Even on the own corporate websites now, I mean, most businesses in terms of authenticity are, are talking about people, what their people are. And I've learned so much just from a company's webpage and the videos that they've got on those webpages. And it doesn't take long, probably in an hour, I could do a good enough piece of research to have some sort of confidence about if we're, if we're dealing with senior leadership teams, what that senior leadership team is like, what sort of approach they might like. So it's all there. Uh, and, and it's all fairly straightforward. In terms of timing. So you could be in a situation where there are a number of competing companies pitching for the same piece of work and the presentations are all lined up for the same day. Do you ever try to influence the time in the day or the sequence of, you know, first or last, for example, primacy and recency, when you would appear? Yes, is the answer to that question. We would, if if we could, we'd always try and avoid what's known as the graveyard shift, so the end of the day. Yep. Post-lunch is not a great one either. Sure. Or, or during lunch even. 
um, because it's as as strange as it sounds. I mean, sometimes you know, if you if you're doing around in and around lunch, people are more focused on their lunch, and that's the truth. You know, yeah. if, if you've got a group of people in the room, so it depends on where the um, the pitch is. We'd we'd put in a request. Generally, we'd prefer the AM slot because people are sharper, minds are active. But of course, generally, if the client says you're going to be in the two pm or you'll be in the five pm slot. And, and then we say, is, are there any other slots? And the answer is no, that, that's when we're going. Yeah, I've, I've, all, uh, I've always wondered about, you know, the, the kind of brains and the memory effect of memory things at the beginning and the end, primacy and recency about what the, the timing is if you were able to be the last one up and therefore most vivid mm. and able, uh, whether that's shown to have, you know, from your experience has been a better, better um, timing to when to deliver your pitch, but you're saying, the fatigue piece can overwhelm that and you're actually better to be pitching in the morning when people are more engaged. I mean, that's my belief, but there, you know, I haven't seen any analysis of it. I think that, I think there probably is something in recency because the more I see of recency, the more, and, and you know, the more I speak with people and like you, you know, have my own podcast and speak with a number of uh, CEOs, mm. business leaders as well. And I think recency does play such a big part. But for me, it's, it's, it's how engaged they are. And, and of course, sometimes they, they're just sitting down with a, with a pad and a pen, so you're not going to know those engagements. But I tend to feel the earlier in the day is the better because that's when people are sort of more focused on the task in hand. Whereas if you're the third pitching in a row, they kind of feel like they know, they know what's mm. happening. Sure. But yeah. if, if we look, you know, what piece of advice would... Would the steward of today give his younger self when it comes to the realm of pitching and, and, and going into those key presentations? What advice would you give to your younger self? The first part of the advice would be don't don't be afraid of, of your own of your own message. And I think sometimes and it's easier, you know, just reflecting on what I've said today, it'd be easy just to think of, well, we've just got to answer the client's question and we've just got to follow this structure. But also each company has its own merits and you as and as individuals we have our own strengths and it would be to really focus on those and right. in in years gone by you know sometimes you get so focused on you know making the right pitch that we forget the bits that we're good at and our own message and as tough as it is for businesses to accept sometimes you, you could have the best pitch in the world the best content in the world but you just might not be the right fit for the client and it will be a no unless you okay. know all of their criteria and having sat on both sides of the fence, you know, and, and I've seen decision matrices where, you know, we'll split up the decisions as, as someone that's making a pitch and we'll give it certain weightings. So we'll know that there'll be certain aspects, you know, uh, yeah, is, is the company able to, to meet the, the specific requirement, obviously cost, team set up, et cetera. So there will be certain measures, which, you, you know, certain hurdles you're going to have to hit. But ultimately, I think it will come down to how you present your personality as a business and how you present your personality as individuals. Because as, as we know, it's well cliched, but people buy from people. Yes. And I, I always think, and I do see this sort of fear sometimes, and I certainly, you know, the, the steward of 20 years ago may have fallen into the same trap, is that be more fearful to be ourselves. And, well, let's be what we think they need us to be. Mm. Actually, yes. actually, no. Be your be yourself as a company. Yes. Because some people will like it, some won't. But you'll end up working with those that want to work with you. Great advice. 
So you mentioned in the introduction that for the last two and a half years or so, you've been uh, embarking on a parallel journey of uh, investing in property. So what are the sort of key experiences or skills that you've taken from your corporate experience and how are you applying those into, into the work you're doing in your property investing business? Yes, another great question. And for me, it's, the, it's a level of... Um, professionalism and that's not to say there isn't professionalism already in in property development but i think it's it's very easy as a as an industry just to get into because ultimately you, you can just go and buy a property today should you have the capital and the the opportunity to do so so for me it was around creating a business creating a brand and i think that came from just my business experience also the other element which i probably my favorite element in business was developing relationships and strong relationships and yes. for them to be um, continued and consistent, I guess, you know, and the thing for me was when I set up the business, I, I put some business, uh, some values into the business. You know, for me, one of the key ones is around congruency. I, I don't always get it right as I'm sure most of us don't, but it's about um, bringing those into the business. So again, being open. So I work with a number of, I guess suppliers now. So we'll have, you know, mortgage brokers, builders, letting agents, solicitors, but all of those I've tried to build relationships with and have open, transparent relationships. And I think that's, that's really come from the professional side of things, just because I, I feel it's more powerful when we all work together as opposed to just being a, someone that's, you know, out in the world, just sporadically choosing people to work with and working inconsistently. I think those longer term relationships will, you know, on both sides will, will pay dividend, won't they, over time? Yeah, and that's the hope. And that's certainly been the case as I've worked with, you know, some of them for, for over the two and a half years, having done it um, you know, as, as a personal thing before I created the business. But definitely really small things like just sharing a vision, as, as, you know, and sharing a vision sounds really grand, but it could be simply me telling a builder what my plan is for the next year, just saying, well, this is my plan. This is what I'd really like to do. And just that one sentence, that one conversation over a cup of coffee, he feels like he's been brought into the situation. And I know that when I put a call into to the builder, if, if I need something to be done quite urgently and in a short time, of, short time frame, more often than not, he's amenable to it and he supports me. And, and I think that's, that's simply part of developing the relationship. Totally. Because he, he works with a huge number of, of different people or companies and yep. quite sporadically, I guess, you know, piecemeal and people just phone them up. And I think sometimes it can be, you know, for him, from his perspective, quite chastening just to get a phone call one, one day and say, right, can you go and do this for me tomorrow? And you know, and I'm sure if he can, he, he can, but just to, to be treated like that, whereas, you know, I'll try and be a bit more open and a bit more advanced and, and he's definitely more responsive as with other suppliers. And, and of course, that professionalism, that building of relationships, you also bring to your prospective tenants and investors as well. Absolutely. And that's a key one for me with investors is being really open and honest uh, and again, try that with all the relationships. Now, of course, there are some areas where you're going to have to be more opaque because we're not going to share all the nuts and bolts of the business. And to be frank, they're not, not going to want to know them. But 
I'll always try and be open and honest about how, what we're doing, how we're doing, where we are, where we are on the roadmap of builds, try and just be an open book and share that. And my experience is it's a very rare day that that's, that's been a bad call. And on, your, on your journey, obviously, when you when you started off doing the the the, the actual um, development aspect of it, that was brand new to you. Um, you didn't necessarily have a background in building, so it would, the relationship with the builder must have been absolutely critical to know that you weren't going to have the wool pulled over your eyes and unnecessarily um, be overcharged or lose money. Yeah, and I'd had that experience, so I had uh, did start working with a builder, and I felt intended to to work with him and. You know, he'd be part of the sort of five-year plan, etc. And he was be very clear. He was not a bad person. He he was a really good guy. It just didn't work out because some of the things that I would have expected around sharing costs as and when they happen didn't happen. Right. And it was it wasn't a huge issue to be honest. But yeah, I just felt it was it was something that we couldn't work with. Whereas this new builder, uh, not so new anymore. You know, sat down. I had that conversation with him and said, "Look, and you know, that was probably my learning. So actually, the failing before was probably mine, as opposed to the builders. And that, again, I had to accept responsibility for that. But you know, again, my learning from that was to sit down with the builder and say, "Look, when I work with someone, this is what I'd like. If something's going wrong, just tell me it's going wrong. If you think it's going to cost more money, just tell me at that stage that it's going to cost more yes. money. Um, because what I what I can't have is in four weeks, six weeks time." A, an invoice that comes through with an extra 50% or in the, in the original case, it was, a, it was an extra hundred percent. I said that, that can't Goodness, work. Wow. No. Um, now it turns out the original one, and just to be fair to the, the original builder, you know, I got it checked out and we had it looked at and his, his costs were far, you know, they were bona fide costs. He wasn't, you know, everyone that, that reviewed it said, look, you know, he's actually done the work. It's just a case of you weren't aware of it. Right. Uh, but again, my, my learning from that with the builder was to say, right, this is how we want to work. This, I'll work transparently with you if you work with me. I'm not saying I'm going to sign every cost off and I'm not saying that I'm going to be happy about it, but I'd rather we work together on it. And uh, that's how we've worked. Great. And what, what's, what's next for you in terms of your property um, sort of vision and journey? So the target has always been to create around 100 student stroke young professional rooms. We're, we're at almost 40 now. Right. The, the business model is really simple. And as I've always said, you know, I go and visit properties that I just wouldn't put anyone's children in, let alone my own, and develop them to a stage where we're more than happy to put, I'd be more than happy to, for my own children to stay there and and beyond, actually. I mean, as my wife reminds me on an almost daily basis that the students and young professionals are living in better accommodation than, than we have most of the time. They've got 100 <laughs> They've got 42 inch screens in most rooms on suite. Wow. So yeah, it's uh, it's a different time to be a student. I'm told by my wife who lived in a, in a, and what she's lovingly described as a bit of a hovel in Exeter when she, <laughs> <laughs> um, so. But the standard expectation for the tech, the tech aspect, the AV, the connectivity, you know, if you don't do that, then you're not going to be, uh, competitive in the marketplace. No, if you, I mean, if you've got less than a hundred meg broad, broadband now, it's, uh, you know, that that's seen as quite quite a negative, you know, and, that, and you know, you'll have a, you know, student on Netflix in one room, one on his PC in the other room. So that's it's, it's a really key thing now to to have hundred meg broadband. 
I think you know it's it's increasing it's a marketplace. You know, something I've been thinking about for a few months now is additional services and supplying those through the letting agents. So it could be, for example, uh, also providing gym memberships, other types of memberships. So so there's a lot more now in terms of added value that right. th- that's being expected from from the market, which which I really like. So do you or if a, if a scheme would allow it, would you look to be putting some gym? Um, equipment in a room if if there was is there enough of a return on investment for doing that well interestingly a property i developed just over a year and a half ago had two gym rooms in it right the challenge i had with that my biggest concern was without sounding like a typical brit with health and safety yes it could could be liable for any injuries on the equipment i don't want to cast too many aspersions about students but let's say (laughs) that on a friday night they might not be fully compass mentors yeah, they go in for a laugh to start to throw, throw some weights around. Okay, yes, I can see how the risk profile of that opportunity. Yeah, so, all right. Someone gets a dumbbell in the eye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I kind of i took the uh, i took the gym equipment out for for those reasons and just turned it into more of a communal area. Um, right. But we, yeah, we, we'll try and do other things that we think would be potentially less uh, injurious to our tenants. Fantastic. Uh, Stuart, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. We've, you know, we've covered a lot around uh, business development and specifically pitching and the importance of preparation, and then how you brought your professionalism from your world of uh, uh, business development in bigger corporates um, into the world of uh, providing student high quality, by the sounds of things, student uh, accommodation. Uh, where, whereabouts geographic, ge- geographically are you building those hundred or creating those hundred rooms? So predominantly in the southwest in Plymouth. Great. Okay, fantastic. So um, if anybody wants to find out more about you, whether it's your property offering, whether it's your podcast, uh, et cetera, how would, they, how would they do that? Yeah, so uh, to start with the podcast then. So like yours, I guess it would be on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. It's Executive Juice and also executivejuice.com. Uh, that's the best place. Um, also on LinkedIn, so Stuart Lorden on LinkedIn. Or if anyone wants to send an email, Stuart at lordpandaproperty.co.uk. Lordpandaproperty.co.uk. That's it. Thank you, Stuart. Thanks very much for your time this morning, sharing your insights and um, also the vision of what you're creating in terms of your property business. Thanks, Thanks Gavin. Thanks, Gavin. Really enjoyed the conversation. This episode of the Business Mastermind is brought to you by the Evolve Mastermind. The Evolve Mastermind is a business mastermind for business owners of businesses turning over between 500,000 and 5 million per annum. Their monthly events provide you with solutions, strategies, inspiration and insights to help you scale and grow your business. Each month there's a hand-picked speaker to provide you with relevant strategies plus time to mastermind with other business owners on issues that are facing you and your business. With groups in Chelmsford in Essex and Manchester in the Northwest and more locations planned, go to www.the-evolve-mastermind.co.uk. That's www.the-evolve-mastermind.co.uk. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact.